Welcome to Thank God for Monday. I'm Brother Greg Cellini of the Franciscan Brothers of Brooklyn and Seton Hall University, class of 1985. My great pleasure to be back with you again today. Our wonderful millennial co-host, Gina Pirro, St. Francis College, class of 2017, is with us, as well as our IT expert, Helena Bronkovic, peer counselor over at St. Francis College. The purpose of Thank God for Monday is to inspire you, our audience, to take personal responsibility for your professional satisfaction. We want to provide you hope, healing, and peace in these unprecedented, turbulent, uncertain times. Motivate you to search deep inside yourself in the quest for fulfillment. Listeners, it's really up to you as how to utilize the information we provide today. Take full accountability for the decisions you make and the resulting outcomes. Now, one of the goals of our show, thank God, for Monday is to introduce role models, role models who take very bold steps in their work lives. Now, this is a very special week. Employee Appreciation Day is Friday, March 5. As such, we are honored today to not have with us one, but actually two very special guests, and these are no strangers to our Thank God for Monday loyal listeners, Barbara Mitchell and Cornelia Gamlin. Barbara Mitchell is enthusiastic about helping organizations find, hire, engage, and retain the best available talent. That's why she began consulting after working as an HR executive in corporations. She's the founder and managing partner of the Mitchell Group, a managing consulting practice that helps a wide variety of clients with people and talent management issues. Cornelia Gamlin is passionate about helping organizations develop and maintain respectful workplaces. Don't we need those today? That's for sure. For that reason, she took the HR expertise she gained working for a Fortune 500 IT services company and founded the GEMS Group, a management consulting firm offering client solutions to employee relations, workplace diversity, and related HR and business issues. Hello and welcome back to Thank God for Monday, Cornelia and Barbara. Hi, Thank Brother you. Cornelia. Delighted to be here. Uh, the pleasure is all ours, certainly. We don't have as much time as we would like. We could spend hours talking to the both of you today, so we're going to jump right in the deep end of the pool and talk about your latest book. And what an incredible title. They did what? Unbelievable Tales from the Workplace. This great book has stories about employee misbehavior. Why did you decide to write this book? Well, as you heard in our bios, we both have been in HR for a long time. And working with people is always a challenge. And it's amazing the kind of things that come at HR on a daily, hourly, minute-by-minute basis. So one of the reasons we wrote it was to catalog some of these experiences that HR people have, but also to give people an idea of what HR is all about. I had a boss one time who said my job as the HR executive was to hire people and make them happy. And I think he really believed that that was all HR was about. So one of the things we wanted to share here was that HR handles amazing things uh, every day of, of their career. And this was one way to do it, by telling stories. And these are real stories that happen to real people, including us. 
Thank you so much for sharing. We're really looking forward to getting more into your book. Now, could you tell us what sets this book apart from other business books? Well, that's, that's an interesting question because when we came up with the ideas I was telling you a little while ago, we said we, we want to present stories, but we don't want to present them in a dry way. We, we want to talk about what actually happened and how different organizations were able to solve the problems based on, you know, what their processes were, what their policies were. And, you know, we, we've all read a lot of business books that have dry case studies in them and kind of drone on and on and on. And that isn't something that we wanted to do. So we took this different approach and said, let's write stories. Let's put this in, 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 in a format that it's creative nonfiction. So you're telling real stories, but also masking the identity of the people. So we, we built a cast of characters. We built a fictitious company. And I mean, everything that we've heard back from people is, you know, this book is very readable and I'm really learning something. So that was really our objective to just have something that could be more engaging to, to the average reader. We would love to hear from you. What are some of the examples of the things managers traditionally do in the area of employee appreciation? Because we all love to be acknowledged for our great work. Helena, you've just said the exact right words, and that is being acknowledged for work. That is that is the basis to me of the employee appreciation process. Uh, but organizations typically do some, maybe some big things where they give out awards. They have uh, ways that they can uh, acknowledge people's be, uh, good behavior or just acknowledge that they value them. And a word that we use a lot in the consulting that we do is the idea of valuing the work that people do. It just means everything when your work is, is acknowledged. Uh, some organizations do big, splashy events. And may now, right now, with everybody being, in, or most people being on uh, remote, it's probably a little harder to have a big event to say we really are grateful for what you do. So we're hoping that organizations will do some smaller things, maybe some more personal things that will let the employees know that they are valued. You can't take your employees for granted. They are absolutely the most important thing. We say this over and over, that it doesn't matter what your service is that you offer, what your product is. If you don't have the right people and they're not committed to your organization, you are not going to be successful. So employee appreciation is a huge part of what a good manager does. This is so fascinating because I may have shared with you previously in some of your prior shows with us that I'm a recovering CPA. So unfortunately, the bottom line mentality is kind of still followed me into religious <laughs> life. But I remember we used to say back in Big Pharma that the greatest asset of the organization isn't even on the balance sheet. And that's its people. No question about it. And that will never change, uh, no doubt about it. And one of the other things we talked about in Big Pharma was that there were some what we call intangible assets, things like patents, copyrights, which were worth billions of dollars, certainly, to organizations. And to draw the analogy, I'm very curious, are there intangible ways that organizations can show employee appreciation possibly? Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of that starts with 
the type of workplace that you want to create for your employees, the type of culture that you want to have. Um, and, you know, we hear a lot about mission statements and visions and, you know, corporate values and everything. And, and that's all good to put down on paper. But what's really important is the way the organization lives up to their values and really provides a, a very positive work environment for their employees. You know, I, I just read something recently and, it, you know, the, all of these workplace advice columns and somebody was talking about, oh, I keep hearing, you know, toxic work experience thrown around. And I really thought that, you know, the, the respondents to it missed a golden opportunity to, to talk about, you know, what's a positive work culture and what's a toxic work culture. And, um, you know, we tried to provide many, many examples in, in the book about how organizations can approach different problems. Um, but, but one example that I, I ran into a couple of years ago, a gentleman had joined an organization and I mean, immediately people were complaining about his behavior and, you know, they, they acted on it like as soon as it came to the CFO's attention and uh, the CEO's attention rather. And, you know, the, the bottom line was they wasted no time to get to the bottom of it. And they wasted no time to, to sever the employment relationship. And it was early enough in the relationship, but the, you know, the guidance that, that they gave to everybody was we are not going to continue with his employment because he just doesn't live the values of our organization. And he was, he was really creating a toxic environment in, in an otherwise good organization. Maybe this is an unfair question, but we hear a lot here, and thank God for Monday and even outside, this term culture of the organization. Could you just peel the onion a little bit, help us understand better? What does that term really mean, Cornelia and Barbara? I'm sitting here laughing because I'm going to refer somebody to you, a good friend of mine who's in the process of publishing a book about organizational culture. And it it really, it it kind of... Um, ties in with this, how do, you know, what kind of a workplace environment do we want? But, you know, the culture is really the way an organization does things, um, you know, almost like any, any culture, you know, what, what are the artifacts within the organization? What, what are, are the mores and the norms, um, that, that are acceptable? You know, how do people act? How do people get things done? And uh, he, he actually has, his book is absolutely delightful, but he re, he really peels it back. But it really ties to what kind of an environment do you want to create for, for your employees? If I, if I can add a little bit to that, one of the things I think is so important when you're trying to analyze an organizational culture, things like how are mistakes handled in this organization? Yeah. If, if the culture says we value people to go out and, and do really risky things and, and be innovative, but if when somebody does something in that vein, they immediately get either reprimanded or maybe even terminated because the organization really doesn't want them to be out there doing something out of the norm, I think that's a real clue as to what the culture is like. And then going back to what Cornelia was saying about the uh, intangibles, about how organizations manage uh, appreciation, the most absolutely the simplest, and as a former CFO, uh, Greg, 
you will appreciate this. The simplest and the best appreciation is free, and that is to say thank you. Say thank you and to mean it. Mm -hmm. Over and over, we hear of organizations that do research, and that is what's valued the most. It doesn't mean that you have to do it publicly, although that's fine too, but just saying thank you and acknowledging that you did something that was really valuable, that just does everything for people. I know when someone says thank you to me, it does mean the world to me, no question about it. And that's something I need to, uh, in this March 5, certainly, to say thank you a lot more than I do. Gratitude uh, is so important. Uh, your story about uh, how basically mistakes are handled reminds me in Big Pharma, we had a scenario. Uh, one of our managers was very well intended and he made a mistake and it cost us a million dollars. And of course, that's a lot of money. And he thought he was going to get terminated very quickly and went in to see his boss. And his boss said, why would I terminate you? I just spent a million dollars training you. I'm not going to terminate you. Now. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Wow. That's a good, that's a good yeah. manager. Definitely. And as we know, there's definitely things that managers can do to extend that level of gratitude and appreciation for their employees, whether it be, um, you know, coaching. I think a lot of employees these days really are looking for personal and professional growth. So perhaps if someone's been within the organization for a while, they're showing promise, they're really doing their best. One way to maybe recognize them and help them would be to give them the resources or introduce them to opportunities to grow themselves personally and professionally. Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, one of the great things is to give people a stretch assignment. Uh, some, it gives them a chance to show that they can do something besides what their current job is. Let them be on a task force. Let them be part of some sort of problem solving group. All these are ways that you can really acknowledge that, uh, you value them and the contribution that they make. And again, it doesn't cost any money. It, you don't have to buy a trophy or mm -hmm. uh, have a party. Uh, but this really is what I think motivates people. Absolutely. And I love the conversation we've been having about gratitude. Before we move on, I just wanted to also point out um, that that, I think, is something that all employees, regardless of title can really get involved in it's just saying thank you right it could it could be someone at the cfo level it could be someone at um you know a co-worker level or even a subordinate mm -hmm. just showing your appreciation sometimes doing a little extra and cc'ing their boss um to let them know as well that the person really helped you out or did a great job um is, is a good way and a kind way to show your gratitude for your team so um, as we are continuing to think about some of these amazing points you've been making, I just wanted to go back to what you mentioned earlier um, regarding misbehavior and catching it early and reacting to it early to not let a toxic relationship or a toxic um, work environment, as you mentioned, foster into something worse. So could you tell us how important it is to nip that kind of thing in the bud right away? And I'm sorry that the trash truck is coming outside my window to hear a beep. So please ignore that. I, absolutely, yes. Uh, when, one of the things, and we say this in our book, and if we say it and think in all of our books, that good people want to work with good people. 
And if someone is misbehaving in the organization and you tolerate it and you think, oh, well, it'll get better and you don't deal with it, you may lose a good person. But if you deal with it, as Cornelia said a moment ago, in a way where you're quickly dealt with and maybe you don't have to even terminate them, hopefully not, but that you don't let the bad behavior fester. You deal with it, you deal it quickly and you deal with it positively because you want to keep your best employees. And they're the ones who are marketable. They're the ones who, if they don't like what's happening around them, they may go to your competition and you don't want that to happen. Yeah, and it does sound very reasonable why it's so important to address misbehavior as soon as possible. Now, I want to talk about how do you address that behavior? You talked before about company's culture, that is, among other things, how managers are approaching issues. And it sounds like employers show appreciation to their employees in the way they approach issues. Can you talk more about that? Sure. You know, one of the things that I think managers, especially younger managers, feel like, oh, gee, something negative has been brought to my attention. So I've got to I've got to be really stern about this and kind of jump into it. Um, but, but the most important lesson that a manager can take away from, from one of these kinds of experiences is to recognize that, as Barbara said, you want to keep good employees and, and you, you want to, you want to make sure that they're doing their best work for you. Yes, people are going to do things that maybe they ought not be doing or just have some missteps. But if you approach that in a very positive manner and, you know, you, you, you sit the employee down, you have that conversation and you say, first of all, I just want to try to get a handle on what's going on here. You know, what happened? How did we, how did we get to this point? Um, you know, we're not, we're not making any accusations. Nobody's doing any finger pointing, but we've got an issue here. And before it, it kind of bubbles up and becomes a bigger problem, we want to understand what's going on so we can start to come up with a good solution to, to the problem. And, you know, when you do that, first of all, you get the employee engaged. You're sending that message that, yeah, even though they may have made a mistake or done something that they ought not have done, um, you still care about them and, and they're still valued. And they can become a part of the solution rather than, you know, just the primary part of the problem. So, so taking your time and, you know, walking carefully and thinking through what you want to say, you know, go in with a cool head, even though you might be upset when you've heard something, but, but approach it in a positive manner. Can I just add a little bit, uh, something that we like to talk about a lot, and that is setting expectations. If employees know what it is that you expect of them, and they know that when it's you, when they, when they live up to your expectations, you're going to acknowledge that. Uh, and if they don't live up to it, you're going to hold them accountable. And I think that can make a huge difference in setting this behavior or, or bad behavior or misbehavior or whatever you want to categorize. But setting clear expectations and then holding people accountable can make a huge difference to your culture and to retaining your best employees. That certainly sounds like a winning formula, no doubt about that. And it's ironic because recently I was thinking it's been 15 years this year 
that I've left uh, big pharmaceuticals, and I'm still close to some people. I still maintain contact. Some of the people I used to work for. And it's very interesting because the people, especially the bosses I've stayed close to, there were situations when I didn't meet expectations or I made mistakes, et cetera. But it was how they handled them. It wasn't so much the situation. We've long forgotten what the situation was. But I still remember how they handled it. Very gentle Franciscan way. And that has just built our relationship. I mean, it's even closer over the years. So I could really resonate when a boss does not handle it effectively or handles it in a poor manner. It's going to erode the relationship. And conversely, when it's handled in a gentle, positive way, it can help build the relationship. Uh, no question. And it also can build your skills as an employee, yes. uh, how, how that's handled so that you grow through the experience rather than uh, the opposite of, of if, if they don't handle it well. Boy, I never thought of the light bulb just went on. Thank you both because, yes, I learned much more, unfortunately, from my mistakes, but I think that's how we do it in life. We learn much more from what doesn't go well than does go well. But, yes, the manager helping in a positive way uh, creates that learning environment, no doubt about it. Now, one of the other things I'm reminiscing today a lot, I hope you don't mind that, uh, going back to the big formative, I was involved in onboarding, onboarding new people. And I'm very curious, is it ever too early to start showing employees that you appreciate them, even from day one or day 10 early on in the process? I would say it even starts well before that. The whole idea of engagement and retention and showing appreciation starts uh, early on in the interview process, in the onboarding process, where people get to really see who you are as a manager and who you are as an organization and how you value your employees. So I really think, uh, and one of, the, one of the books that we have written in addition to They Did What is the big book of HR, which we're currently finishing up the uh, 10th anniversary edition, which will come out next year. So we hope you'll have us back at that point. Uh, but in, in there, we talk a lot about how this whole process of uh, engaging and retaining your employees starts very early on. And so you want to set that tone to where the applicant knows that this is the kind of organization you are and that they want to be part of that. So, no, it's never too early. That makes a lot of sense. Now, onboarding for me is my favorite part of my HR job because I love just inviting people in. I think people are feeling pretty much the most excited they'll ever be um, at an organization when they're first coming on board. Um, of course, the whole goal of retention is to make them feel that way throughout. But hey, um, one of the hardest parts of my job is addressing issues like employee relations problems, conflicts between employees or employees and their managers. How do you recommend that either HR professionals or just regular managers handle when there are employee misbehaviors? Well, Jean, I think I had mentioned to you earlier before we started that one of the reasons um, we wrote this book was because somebody once asked me, how do you learn employee relations? And, you know, you, you really learn it through experience. And one of the things we wanted to bring out in the book is that every time you deal with any kind of an employee relations issue, it's you 
each one of those issues is unique. Yes, there are some similarities. You can be dealing with something like discrimination, you know, across the board or, or workplace harassment. And, and there are some guidance that, that you do have to follow. But at the end of the day, every time you look at a situation, there are so many things that need to be considered. You know, what, what, what actually happened? Um, you know, how, how serious was the behavior if you're talking about a behavioral issue? And I remember Barbara and I once having a conversation with somebody and the issue of sexual harassment came up and one of us said, well, it depends on how bad the harassment is. And these other people looked at us like, you know, well, harassment's harassment. And I said, no, these things can, can occur like on a sliding scale. And, you know, somebody can say or do something without thinking and it may not really be all that awful. And then there's other examples that the behavior is very, very egregious. So, so that's one thing you've got to consider. And then, then you've got to look at the employee's history with the organization. If they've been there a long time, or is this a relatively new employee? Like the person I alluded to earlier that, you know, he, he kind of came in and started acting up almost on day one. And, you know, the pattern was set and, you know, had, had he been a longer term employee, they may have taken some different action. Um, you also want to see what the impact of that behavior has been on other people in the organization. Um, and, and then, you know, this, by, by the same token, every organization's a little bit different. And, and we, I think we brought that home in the book quite well that while you may want to, you know, seek advice from some of your colleagues outside the organization, you still have to understand that they may have different protocols, they may have different policies, um, you know, they, their their whole, um, their shareholders may be different. So all of these things are things that, that you have to look at and, and consider. It's, uh, you can't always open the policy manual and find the answer to a lot of the, these employees, you know, whether it's a behavioral issue or even a performance issue. Right. With management, it seems like things are not usually black and white. A lot of the job is in this gray area where you truly need to use your experience and your discretion um, in HR and in management of any team. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. In fact, that was that was one of our underlying themes of the book that, that we had in the back of our mind. It's not just black and white. There are so many shades of gray that you deal with in in, in managing people. Absolutely. And I just wanted to point out as well that um, if you're a manager, anyone who's listening, and you have an HR department, um, HR has a reputation, I think, historically of just being the team that swoops in to hire people or terminate people or discipline people. Um, but truly, your HR department is meant to be a resource and a resource for managers as well. Um because management in itself is something that you need to really be trained on and learn. I don't think people are just born um, with everything that they need to know to be an effective manager. You can have traits that help you. Um, but if you're not being taught or being coached, um, it can be very hard to do it on your own. So always seek help from others if you need it. Way to approach HR or have HR be a resource. That's, that's who we are. And one of the things we've been talking a lot right now during the pandemic is the increased, increasing role that HR is playing in organizations. And of course, we get all excited thinking this is great. Uh, we've been waiting for, I don't mean waiting for the pandemic, please. I did, don't mean that. But we've been waiting for 
HR to get some recognition. And we think that's happening now because organizations are facing unbelievably challenging times and things that they have never had to deal with before. And HR can, can really be a huge help there. Uh, and so we are very, very pleased that that's happening. And we hope that we've added to that body of knowledge as well. And I'm sure our lawyer listeners would love to know where they can purchase your book and how they can best follow you on social media. If you go to our website, www.bigbookofhr, we've got a page for all of our books and links to all of the places where you can get them. They're obviously available on Amazon. Our latest book was self-published, so you can get it directly from our distributor. It'll take you to links even to, you know, independent bookstores if you prefer to to uh, to work with the independents instead of, of going with the big behemoth. And, you know, because and you can find both Barbara and I on social media. We're, we're both on LinkedIn and we, we've got links to those on our website, as well as our Twitter account, Big Book of HR. So we're, we're pretty easy to find. But usually the, the website is a great place to start. We also do a weekly blog, which is on our website, uh, and we do a monthly uh, sort of a newsletter format, a little longer, uh, and you can also get links to those as well. So we try to try to keep people up to date as much as possible. Well, thank you so much. That is so exciting. So listeners, again, that was www.bigbookofhr. Please check out Barbara Mitchell and Cornelia Gamlin's book titled They Did What? Unbelievable Tales from the Workplace. After you've connected with them, also make sure you're connected with us on our Thank God for Monday social media, where you can find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Barbara Mitchell, Cornelia Gamlin, we cannot thank you enough for being with the Gina, Helen, and I today. Once again, you've enlightened us and much more you've inspired us. And thank you for gracing not only our show today, but this unbelievable book, as Gina just said, and Helena, they did what? Unbelievable tales from the workplace. Listeners, guess what? Once again, we're out of time. Helena, Gina, and Greg saying our hope and prayer is that when you wake up on Monday morning, just like Barbara and Cornelia do, you'll say, thank God for Monday.